Should mobile marketers look to the web for measurement in the iOS 14 era? Welcome to Growth Masterminds with John Gutsier. is getting less measurable, right? IDFA is going to be scarce. SK ad network is not user level. And marketers are wondering if the mobile web is the answer. To dive into that, we're chatting with an expert on D2C, mobile web and mobile marketing, Aitan Levitt. He's co-founder and VP marketing at Mixtiles. And yeah, you see some of those Mixtiles in my background there. He's the guy who's parted me from some of my hard-earned cash. Welcome, Aitan. Thank you. Great to be here. It is great to have you. We are in some crazy times right now. Uh, mobile marketing is in quite the state of upheaval. The world is, at least the U.S. How is it for you right now? It's been a crazy year, uh, probably one of our best year in terms of, uh, of performance. But definitely it seems like uh, a lot of outlier outcomes are more possible than they were before. Uh, high outcomes and low outcomes. So it's just... Uh, <laughs> Seems like the volatility has increased. We we had some crazy uh, supply chain problems that we handled, but yeah, it's crazy. Everything's uh... that is the word for 2020, and it seems to be continuing in 2021. I want to get into mobile marketing, iOS 14, IDFA, and the mobile web, but let's start with what Mixtiles does and how you go to market. Yeah, so uh, we are a five-year-old startup. Uh, we're an interior design company. Uh, what we do today is uh, our, our, these tiles, these are my kids, nice. uh, basically uh, frame photos or, or frameless that you have that just stick to walls without nails. Uh, the theory is that you know, we wanted to make it as frictionless as possible for people to get photos from their phone to their wall. And uh, people uh, love it. And, uh, people do love it. I love it. I mean, because, you know, you have so many cool photos. We all walk around with a very high quality camera in our pocket these days. And too often they stay there. They stay on the cloud. They don't get up in our lives, in our walls, in our homes and make us happy when we look at them and remind us of cool stuff we've done. So I'm super happy about that. But you've chosen a different way to go to market, right? Than maybe some mobile first companies. How do you go to market? How do you acquire customers? I mean, today we spend uh, heavily on uh, social channels, mostly Facebook and Instagram. And uh, we also have some Google and a lot of email marketing, which is also working mm -hmm. great for us. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Now, you chose social. Uh, there's a lot of Facebook in there, I'm guessing. It's one of your go-to channels. You chose web. Why'd you go that way? Why'd you go Facebook? Why the web? Uh, what was the thinking behind that? Yeah, so I have to say that uh, in the first, I guess, three years of Mixtiles, uh, we didn't have web at all. We just had iOS initially, and then we added Android. So this was reverse migration. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you found a startup, uh, one of the things you find out after a few years that uh, there are a few hypotheses that you had in the beginning of the way that are terribly wrong or <laughs> uh, <laughs> not so terrible, but like we we ended up finding that actually mobile web is a great platform and uh, it kind of took over a lot of our uh, ad spend. Yes. Uh, we still have a lot of, I mean, we still uh, acquire customers mostly for our, our iOS app, but really a lot of our spend has shifted to uh, web 
Mm-hmm. Um, we were surprised by it, I have to say, but, uh, but it's, it really was, a, for a while, a growth driver for us. So talk about why that made sense for you, uh, why you shifted there, and, and why you're still spending on, on iOS for your iOS app. What were you seeing? What were the drivers there? Yeah, so I'm afraid I don't have any sophisticated theory here. Uh, <laughs> we just saw better, like, you know, we ran iOS, Android, and web in parallel. And just yes. slowly, just slowly, the performance on web, you know, the, the return on ad spend was better. And, and we just saw more and more, like the, the return on ad spend was better. So we just shifted more and more budget there. Yes. And this kind of happened naturally. Uh, okay. I have to say that the web definitely decimated Android ad spend for us. I mean, we almost oh. don't spend anything on Android because web works better. And that was also a big surprise for us in that, yes. that regard. This is not an unsophisticated analysis. I mean, you spent money, you tried stuff, you figured out what was working, you and you and you followed what was working, right? This is the performance marketer's playbook. So uh, that yeah. that's cool. That the people with the grand strategy, I'm going to do X, and then I'm going to do Y, and then I'm going, <laughs> you know, well, sometimes X doesn't work, or you need to redirect. So that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Now, one one thing that also also took us by surprise was. Like we expected to see a hit in retention rates for the web platform because yes. one of the pains that you have in web is that customers usually see your ads on you know the Facebook or Instagram app, yes, which are native apps, and then the web is actually opened on their in, inside the app in a sandboxed browser, and that doesn't remember like after you. Do, doesn't know order. you, doesn't have your passwords, doesn't have your credit card, any of that stuff, can't transfer it out. <laughs> yeah, and, and we thought that would like that that was one of the original also ideas, like why uh, a native app would be better. And and their repeat rate is is slightly lower in web, but not as much as we thought. Mm-hmm. And there are all other advantages in terms of uh, other unit economics that work better. Somehow we see a bit larger orders on web. So Okay. Well, you know, I mean, it, just looking at my customer experience, I came across you first. I, I, I'm going to guess, and this is a guess because I don't really remember, you know, this is how marketing works, right? You see an ad five, six, seven, ten times, and then you act on it, right? There's there's something to brand marketing. Yes, there's performance marketing, but there's something to brand and there's interlinkage between those two. I think I saw your ad for the first time on something like Instagram and uh and and was intrigued and probably clicked on it a couple of times and and oh that's cool and and didn't really become a customer there but came to know you there and then i went on desktop web the big screen where i could see all my pictures yeah that's exactly the crop i want so if i'm going to spend 150 bucks to get a bunch of pictures i want to make sure i get the right ones you know uh there's the money but there's also it's going on my wall i want the right pictures i want the right crop and so i did it on your web interface and that worked out very very well for me i don't know how measurable that journey was for you i don't know how measurable that performance was for you but it worked yeah uh it definitely works and we started collecting emails very early in the funnel and just as a response to uh, how can we monitor that journey, actually collecting emails early really helps in that regard uh, because we found out that actually losing the people that don't, that like don't move forward in the funnel because they 
don't want to leave their email. Actually, it's not a huge loss because most of them usually also don't end, end up buying. Yes. Um, and but a lot of our attribution today, or a lot of how we look at customers, is email based, and that really helps us exactly to see different touch points and to kind of reason about that. Aiden, that's really interesting. You're probably the fifth marketer that's told me in the past two, three months that adding friction to the customer journey can be a very good thing because it weeds out those who are not going to become customers at all. Very interesting. So you talked about email address there. And I wanted to, that's a great segue because I want to talk about the web and measurement and how you do cross-platform and cross-channel measurement. Because I was a little facetious there. I said, you couldn't, probably couldn't measure my journey. Maybe you could. Maybe I gave you my email address. I don't remember. It was half a year ago. Talk about how you ensure that the money you're spending, whether it's in a native app environment, whether it's on the mobile web, actually has a return. How are you doing that cross-platform and cross-channel measurement? Yeah, so I think cross-channel measurement was uh, a big thing for us in 2020. We basically found out that every time we improve the email marketing machine, Facebook spend goes up and, <laughs> uh, and profitability tanks, which is interesting, right? Because you would assume that when email becomes more successful, uh, these are customers that we didn't have to pay anything for and that we would see more profit. And what we learned was exactly the downside, like the, the problem of cross-channel attribution. So what we did was to develop a very basic, something we, we love to do, to do basic things that are like the Pareto uh, solution. So we developed this thing we called attribution model 0.1 initially, yes. which was just to subtract all the email revenue from uh, just the total revenue. And then afterwards, we did uh, attribution model 1.0, which is a bit more sophisticated. It actually looks at just the last click and together with uplift tests that we did uh, in various channels, we managed to come up with a formula that translates just uh, what happens in the last click based on UTM parameters. We have this factor and uh, like, we end up just having like, this is what Facebook did. This is what Google did. This is what, yes. uh, you know, email did. And that really helps us to control our costs and to understand really where does growth come from? And, mm -hmm. uh, cause all these platforms, like, you know, they steal attribution from yes, of other course. channels all the, all the time. <laughs> it's not called self-attributing network for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, so yeah, so I guess the short answer was that we developed uh, an internal last click model. And uh, this year we're actually working on, like on our roadmap is to develop attribution model 2.0 uh, that has much more granularity in terms of like, we want to have an international view to understand like per country and, and also answer the age old question of app versus web. Like we think we have uh, also an interesting way to choose to check that. Uh, lastly, just, I guess like people hearing this, that was helpful for us to figure out. We learned that putting a pre-purchase and post-purchase survey, actually that works. That's like, really? yeah, it's not 99% accurate, but it's like 80% accurate. So like, if you want to look at things from the big picture and to understand big picture, what works and what doesn't, especially for harder, for channels that are harder to attribute like YouTube or television, that's actually a really useful tool. We, we just saw that it triangulate, 
did like the answers on the survey actually triangulated with a lot of like answers that we found using our internal uh, attribution models. And it was like, that's, that's a, that's a great tool. That is a surprise to hear, honestly, and, and, and a good surprise. And, and I'm guessing you said it's like 80% accurate. And I'm guessing some of that 20% is those people like me, like, I'm not sure where I first saw mixed types. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll give you my opinion in the moment, right? But I can't tell you with 100% accuracy that that's the case. And a question I have is, what percentage of people typically answer a survey like that? Oh, I have to check. I have to check okay. and get you okay. an answer. But we're also not running it on all our customers. We're just like on a, I think, 5% sample. Yes. Uh, something that's just statistically significant. I will say this. Uh, we added it as part of our onboarding like quiz or wizard or whatever you call it. So, And is it I like guess- one question? Is it like three? What is it? It's today. It's one question. Okay. Uh, uh, the answers are randomized, and we add channels that we actually don't operate on. So <laughs> love it. we have like the the noise level. Uh, yes. And and it's it actually like I, I don't want to get into the details of the exact channel, but there's a very big channel that we've ran some experiments on, just using some standard attribution methods. It seems like the ROI was less than even 100%, which is low. Mm-hmm. But then using the survey, we actually saw that it has a, a very long-term effect. Wow. And that actually made us now refocus on that channel. Or we're considering refocusing on that channel um, mm. because of the insights that we got from that survey. So that highly, highly, highly recommended. That sounds YouTube-ish, but I'm just shooting in the dark here. But, you know, since it's kind of new and you're testing, I might even think it might be TikTok, but I won't press you on that one. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So, first of all, super happy to hear it was one question. That was your survey. Because, I mean, the first thing that went through my mind was I thought, you know, exit survey or whatever. is like, you know, that's the worst thing. I hate that. They asked me, then there's these 10 questions they want. I just finished my purchase. Let me get out of here. But, hey, one question, one click, that's easy. That's not a problem. That's really simple. And, and you can build that into your flow quite nicely. Love it. Absolutely. Let's talk iOS 14. Uh, iOS 14, you mentioned, hey, 2020, crazy year, 2021, also crazy year. iOS 14 is a piece of that for mobile marketers. Let's be honest. What is iOS 14 changing about your marketing, if anything? So for us, it's a big thing. Uh, We're definitely investing uh, serious resources around it. I, I mean, I guess what, I mean, our internal models are like, it could be, I don't know, a 20-30% impact on the revenue we get from Facebook and Instagram, which is a lot for us. Wow. That, that's like the, I'd say, pessimistic, yes. yet, rea- yet realistic scenario. Like it could also be mi- minus 50% or whatever. I, I have to say that there are also uh, upsides because you just, it's hard to know. Like uh, you might, we might find out just, I don't know, I mean, we think it's going to launch one month from now because you just launched the beta and usually it takes them one month. So maybe half a year from now, we'd talk and we'd actually find out that a lot of the small advertisers got hurt. Yes. Um, a lot of the gaming and industry got hurt. And actually, we benefited from it. We did benefit, by the way, from the rollout of the new privacy measures that happened in California. I think it was around October or November yeah. 2020. 
Yes. So we actually had benefited from that. We we came very well prepared and, and we were like, we had one month where CPMs were super low in California and we were like having a blast. Wow. So you don't know, it definitely feels like a, a potentially big macro effect. Mm -hmm. uh, but I have to say at the end of the day, like what we're happy about is that Mixtels is a company that we invented a new product. It's not like a white label thing. Uh, we have already millions of customers. People know us, know about us. Yeah. And, uh, but actually, the most important thing is that it's a good product and um, yeah. kind of feels like, you know, good products would win and, and should, worst case, you know, we'll have a minus 20% bump in Facebook's revenue and, you know, we'll continue growing, you know, just this and we'll continue the growth. But for 2021's goals, it, is, it could be a, a, a big thing. What I'm super interested in to hear there is that preparation did serve you well for the California privacy regulation and your investing effort right now. And I guess the hope is for many marketers that investing the time and investing the effort to do it right out of the gate, you're going to place yourself above the pack, ahead of the pack. And frankly, we've seen that because there's a panic going on right now in the market of people who didn't take iOS 14 and SK Ad Network and ATT seriously in last summer when it was announced and, and about to be implemented. They took the six month, eight month, whatever grace period that, that mm -hmm. Apple gave the industry and just continued with business as usual. And now they're struggling and now they're trying to catch up. So hopefully those who have prepared will do well. Do you have a plan for SK Ad Network? What are you planning to do there? I know you're more web focused than mobile. Uh, any thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, I could run you down by the, like the, our entire response, but basically for iOS, we're just uh, trying to be compliant with the guidelines for our, our iOS app. And most of our efforts are directed to our spend on the web, which is yeah. also a place where uh, we can be significantly more proactive. And yeah. I can give you more details if you're interested. Well, what's interesting is what I'm seeing some marketers who are moving to the web, they can do anything. It's tabula rasa. I'm not talking about doing things that are wrong in terms of privacy. I'm talking about in terms of presenting an experience for a potential customer that shows them in rich detail what their product does. So if you're a mobile game publisher, you can show a video, you can show some interactive gameplay, you can put other details around there. In your scenario, you have the whole web and all the capabilities of the web to, to use. Is that what you're talking about? I mean, I just, you know, this whole iOS 14 thing, what's the problem? The problem is that Facebook is going to have significantly less signals to optimize against. Yes. Um, and also measurement is going to be significantly harder because like the protocol itself is actually proactively randomizing stuff. So you can't really identify exactly what happened to specific users. Yeah. In the web, in the world of web, uh, the cool thing is that you have UTM parameters. Yes. And UTM parameters are great because like, you know, you, they allow you, even for people that opted out, still we can pass, you know, the campaign, the ad, the ad, and uh, and that's very helpful for us. And it's one of the things that we were doing is uh, what we call internal ads manager 0.1. Yes. Uh, again, I'll describe that and maybe touch upon the the broader attitude. But uh, our, the internal ads manager 0.1 is just 
we build it on Google Sheets together with BigQuery, wow. which is something that we love doing. Yes. It's an amazing platform. You just do pivot tables on like huge amounts of data from Google Sheets and <laughs> and, uh, no and basically <laughs> yeah and, and and basically we're just having a campaigns ad sets and ads view and we're fusing the data we get from the UTM parameters with our internal events and also with the email based like data that we have which is like user level to basically have this alternative view for Facebook ads manager that will help us understand what's actually going on and what is the real ROAS. Yes. And also to understand things like view attribution or long term conversions. Yes. And yeah. And, th and so that's, that's one mitigation that we're putting in place and that's greatly enabled by having UTM parameters. Wonderful. So you mentioned UTM parameters as part of your data strategy to understand what marketing is working, what marketing isn't, what creative is doing well, what creative might not be doing well. Are you also, I mean, you've been collecting emails since uh, day one, it sounds like almost. Is that also a continuing strategy going forward to collect emails right away and then have that one-to-one -one relationship with a potential customer that you can reach out to them later? Yeah, so actually we started collecting emails just two years ago oh, for, wow. for, for people that don't, like for non-customers, uh, just collecting it, them in the beginning of the funnel. And one of these decisions that I mentioned before that were like wrong assumptions that we had that like emails are bad, we don't want to be spammers and whatever. And like, you just slowly learn that there is an entire world that is totally fine with emails and you just need to do it in a right way. So. Uh, yeah, lifecycle email, or we call it internally lifecycle marketing. We're just continuing with uh, business as, as usual there. I mean, we have a great uh, operation going and it's uh, scaling and it's improving. And um, we don't think we could be more aggressive in collecting emails uh, mm -hmm. since we're already doing it in the beginning of the funnel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's like, I, I definitely recommend anybody that doesn't collect emails in the beginning of the funnel to at least experiment on it we were very surprised by our ability to have a multi-step quiz in the beginning of the funnel before we even dive deep into explaining the product have this quiz and have it i would say not even reduce conversion rate but even increase it wow uh, or would it decrease the revenue per user wow. uh slightly but it did and that yeah. was impressive and, and interesting speaks to the need to just try stuff and see what happens because sometimes you get results that you can't really predict or you wouldn't have predicted. Let's talk Android and iOS for half a moment. You dropped your Android spend down very, very low. You have, uh, you, you focus more on the web for there. You still do some iOS investing. How is marketing for Android and iOS different today and how is it changing? That's a hard question. Yes, it I mean, is. I'm, I'm not I'm, giving I'm, you the easy ones here. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I also definitely don't feel that I have interesting things to say about it just because <laughs> we don't spend so much on Android. I would say that probably there could be some missed ad spend that we could do on, you know, Google Play and stuff like that. Yes. But we're tackling Google more holistically and focusing a lot on the search and shopping. Uh, features, uh, or, or that has been our focus in, in recent times. Mm -hmm. We don't have any Android specific initiatives yes. there. Uh, if anybody has like, uh, you know, suggestions, we're definitely open to hear them. 
And in general, by the way, I, I'd love to plug in that we're always looking for the best people in the world to work with us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shameless plug. All, all good. No worries. Maybe a general comment to kind of uh, come to a bit of a close here. So if we look at iOS 14, any tips on that? Any thoughts on, on how to handle marketing there? Yeah, so I, I can share our approach. So again, we take it seriously. But also we've found that a lot of times the mistake is to overreact. So like one of our principles here is to not overreact and to actually do the minimum things that we think are important. Nice. Uh, so as I mentioned before, we have this internal ads manager just allowing us to understand what's happening on Facebook without having to rely on Facebook's attribution, which is now uh, becoming significantly less extensive and uh, and transparent. Other than that, we are reducing the amount of ads we have. Our model is that like iOS 14 is going to just reduce the amount of signals. So we need to make sure that all the platforms, the algorithmic uh, targeting platforms would have more signals on each ad and ad set. So that's a big change. We're actually cutting the amount of ads we're running in parallel by almost a factor of five or even 10. Like it's a, it's a huge thing from an account that has tons of ads and that we don't even think about it. We're actually doing a, a, a really deep work there. Another thing that we're doing and can I kind of feel like- that? Can we just dig into that for a oh, second? Yeah. So what, what I thought I heard you say there is you run tons of campaigns, tons of ad sets, tons of creative, and you're significantly reducing that now because the lack of measurability, lack of signal. And so you actually need to build signal into maybe the campaign ID or something like that. So you know what creative is working or not working. Did I hear that correctly? Yeah. I mean, we're just looking at it from Facebook's perspective. Like we think Facebook, let's say just 20% of people opt in. So Facebook would have 80% less data on probably less, but let's say 80%, like that's the conservative scenario. So, but then they're going to, going to try to extrapolate on like the ones that they have data on into like, oh, they're similar to these people because yes. uh, they do have a lot of first party data. So we want to help Facebook by creating much more signals. So if it's an 80% reduction, uh, we want to increase the amount of signals they get per ad, you know, by, you know, by, by multiplying the amount of signals by, by four or by five or whatever. And, and, and the way to do that is to reduce uh, the amount of ad sets and uh, ads. No worries. So this is interesting because for when you're doing campaigns on Facebook for iOS, then, you know, there's these hundred campaigns IDs that you can have in SK ad network and Facebook wants like 90 of them. Right. <laughs> and what you're saying is, okay, fine. I'm just going to give you a few different variations and you can use all those campaign sets to really extract as much data as possible from what I'm running in terms of my ad campaign. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. Okay, cool. So I interrupted you there and you were finishing your list of tips that work better on iOS. Cool. So it's not just for our iOS app. It's actually for the entire account. So another thing that we're doing is finally there's a reason to really invest in our social like uh that's <laughs> performance oriented not brand oriented yes and anyway we're like this year we're going to invest heavily on brand but uh just from a performance marketing perspective social pages are first party data for facebook so any and also 
the ad sets that are targeting people that are engaging with our social page is, is a great audience for us. Like mm-hmm. people that are engaging with our social, uh, that's a big and, and great audience. So, and we have like, like we have 1 million followers on Instagram and 1 million followers on Facebook. So we have these great assets and we think, I, I see a lot of like companies that are a few years on the road and they also have big social pages. Mm-hmm. So anyway, our strategy here is to really drive a, a step function change in the engagement level. Yes. Uh, we're, we're actually making that the single most important metric for our social team. Wow. We are going to try to increase engagement by a factor of 10, like 10 times more engagement. And we think like in our specific case, since we haven't really invested a lot in it, we think it's doable. Like we think a good engagement amount would be like 1% per post, like 1% engagements, uh, like engagement divided by the amount of followers. So it should be 1%. Today we're around 0.2%, which is considered low. So that's a big a big improvement for us. We want to be at 2%, you know, uh, that's like the ambitious goal. And we think that could be a really game changer also for Facebook because that would just increase, that would give them a lot of signals on people that are, you know, somebody that just liked your organic social post or I don't know, wrote you something on your Instagram live or, or watched your stories. Uh, that, that's a great signal. You, you, you have been top of mind for even a few seconds for yes. that person. Yes. So that's a great uh, opportunity to convert them. And that's, that's another thing that we're doing. Um, I think that's super smart. I think that's super smart because you're a very visual brand that it, I think it's easy to convey the value. It's a value proposition that is quite simple to, Oh, wow. Cool. And, and, and see it. And interestingly, influencer marketing is getting way more measurable. So today when we're recording this, we're actually releasing the singular ROI index and an influencer marketing agency ad network reached a top position on the ROI index for the first time ever. Interesting. So it's actually measurable. Then the company there is jet fuel and doing some super interesting things. And I, oh, you're making a note. I can see that. So, <laughs> well, I'll send you a copy. I'll send you a copy, but that could be really, really cool because you've got this great organic social following and an influencer showing, Hey, here's the picture. Boom. There it shows up. And you know, I mean, it could be really, really cool. Yeah. And lastly, that's like super experimental, but we're going to try to do super old fashioned, good old targeting by demographics, like gender, age, and just, we already have enough data about the zip codes that work well for us. It's uh, more family oriented zip codes. So trying to use that targeting as a super upper funnel method to capture people, you know, that are not actually in the market right now, but just mm-hmm. are very in the target, uh, are deep in our target audience. And like the, the narrower that targeting would be, we think it could like mixed is, is enough of a mass market product to maybe 
have that work. But that's very experimental. Like, I don't know if that would work or not. Yeah, everything old is new again. <laughs> true. This has been wonderful, Aiton. This has been really, really enjoyable. Uh, you've been dropping pearls of wisdom. I have to really uh, thank you for that. Maybe sum it all up for us. You've, you've talked about brand. You've talked about some of the old school targeting. You talked about some of the new school stuff that you're still doing with UTM and some of the email marketing, which is two decades old, uh, but only two years old for you and maybe brand new for some companies that are just not doing that right now. What does this all say about the future of marketing and marketing measurement? You know, I, I, easy I, questions. I, I, I'm, it's a lot. Yeah, I would, I, I, I would, you on a platter here. I would say two words from the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. Don't panic. <laughs> I think, uh, and, and have a towel. So <laughs> I kind of, I kind of think that like at the end of the day, it's going to be a, if you have a good company, a good product, a good team, the worst case here should be a hit, uh, a one-time hit. And then like things that you wanted to do should, you should probably continue doing. But again, you know, as I said in the beginning, beginning, uh, it's a period of high volatility. So who knows? Yes. Uh, so prepare for the worst, but don't panic. Well, you know, the answer is 42. <laughs> excellent for those who have no clue what we're talking about you have to look up hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and 42 and google will tell you what we're talking about here uh, Aiton, it has been wonderful thank you for taking some time late in your day to chat with us i really do appreciate it have a wonderful day thank you for having me it was a pleasure and uh have a great day mm -hmm.